Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a unique set of processes that unlock the unlimited passion and potential of your team to create a 10x result in your business. I want to thank our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Be Local, and Cause San Diego. We're all focused on impacting the community of San Diego through the work they do as business leaders. Welcome to the show. Did you know one in three American adults, let me say that again, one in three American adults have a criminal record. So think about that. If you're standing in the street with 10 strangers, there's a good chance three to four of them statistically uh, have a criminal record. But it's even worse, and you might even say criminal, that a criminal record will limit your access to education, jobs, housing, and other resources needed to achieve self-sufficiency in our society. Thus, it should not be too surprising that according to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, over 60% of individuals released from prison in California will reoffend within three years. Is there an answer to this cycle of addiction, poverty, and incarceration? I certainly hope so, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest today who is fighting the fight for change. Bill Payne, welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Bill is the president and CEO of Second Chance. Second Chance is an organization dedicated to helping people change their lives by helping to break that cycle of drugs, homelessness, and incarceration. Bill, I look forward to being educated on this subject and especially on how the business community of San Diego can help impact this significant social problem. So I really wanted to start, and I'm sure this is a very complex problem and everything's got its own unique story. But what would you say the core issue is? If you could kind of pick, like, here's, here's the main, main offender when it comes to how people end up where they end up. What would you say that would be? Well, I guess what I would say is that all of us in our society who are looking for not just the ability to survive, but to thrive, there's a hierarchy of needs that, you know, in our childhood, we build up a set of knowledge, skills, abilities, education, experience that leads to our ability to thrive. And at Second Chance, what we focus on is helping people achieve those capabilities that are related to self-sufficiency. And there's science around what self-sufficiency is and, and how to measure it. And it really comes down to about six categories. And it builds like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, just like we all need oxygen, water, food. And then, of course, there's higher level needs, uh, self-actualization, et cetera. The needs for self-sufficiency fall into areas like housing and safety at the very base. Obviously, shelter, being safe from external threats, the environment. And then there's a a next layer of your personal wellness and things that impact your personal wellness include things like your use of substances, uh, nutrition, access to healthcare, 
leading up to uh, your freedom itself, justice involvement, and whether you've had a period of incarceration and the, and the trauma that's inflicted from that. Then you can move on to your life skills and your social wellness, your education and your job skills, and ultimately your income and employment. And if you look at those six categories, there are levels within each of them that once you get to a fully empowered state, you can thrive. So until you get to that place, exactly. you're always going to be in a struggle. Yeah. And, and, you know, life intervenes, right? And so I always like to focus on access to opportunities. The participants in our programs that we serve are really just looking to gain or regain access to opportunities so that they can take advantage of it. Mm, exactly. So it really has to do with kind of your environment where you, where you've kind of landed in this world and, and really kind of where you've grown up will dictate a lot about what this is going to look like for you. Yeah. There's a, um, about 10 years ago, there was a interesting tweet that was set out uh, where a scientist from MIT was predicting a future where a DNA test could indicate whether or not you would uh, attend a higher education, a tier one school, or achieve certain life outcomes. And someone replied to the tweet and said, yeah, you can do that with a zip code. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even yeah. back to that statistic that I gave where I'm saying one third, quite honestly, in my little world, if I was sitting with 10 of my peers, mm -hmm. that statistic probably doesn't hold. Right. Which means you can go into other groups where it's going to be completely the other way. Right. Six out of 10, seven out of 10 are faced with that because it's kind of more back to the zip code, the environment, right? I was fortunate to be brought up in this zip code. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with where you, where you got to show up in this world. Yeah. The reality is our environment and circumstances, our social structures all have an influence over our life outcomes. For Second Chance and our participants, many of them are ready and very focused on overcoming those circumstances and those experiences. And so I always make sure to say that rather than say people deserve a second chance, I like to say that our participants have earned their second chance because they put in the work. They're actively changing the trajectory of their lives. Right, it's not a gift. It's, it's, you have to do the work. No, you have to do no the work. No one does it for you. It's not like, oh, come over here, we'll hand you something and exactly. you're done. You have to actually go and engage and make it happen. Yeah, the, all, of, all of our programs and programs like ours, the number one predictor of success is what they call receptivity. Mm. You have to be ready to change. Looking for something new. Right. And change is hard. I don't care who you are, change is hard. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that gets back to access to opportunities because when you're ready to change, you, you know, you're, you, you've made a mistake, which shouldn't define the rest of your life. You've paid your debt to society, the period of incarceration, restitution, et cetera. And now you need access to opportunities so that you can change the trajectory of your life. One of the things you said, I think sounds kind of interesting to me, you know, where there's like, I think it's a six, right? Basic things you had to kind of check sure. the boxes on if you're going to thrive. So you could actually be in a situation where maybe you check the box on four or five even out of the six, but then my family situation was really bad or something, which then led to the downfall. And you only need to have one downfall, right? That's true. <laughs> once you tumble into the system, back to the, you know, once you're in, you're in, it's tough to get out. 
So you really have to hit on all cylinders. Absolutely. You mentioned in, in your opening, you know, one of the things we'll touch on today is how businesses here in San Diego can help break these cycles of incarceration and poverty. And many times uh, lay people will uh, be under the impression that, well, jobs are the solution. And they are a significant part of the solution. However, that's only income and employment is only one of the six categories. A deficiency in any of the other six can derail that job. For example, we have many instances where we have a participant who's on the right track. They've achieved employment. They're living hand to mouth. A $200 auto repair can turn into a significant barrier because if you don't have the excess income to pay for your car to be fixed, well, now your car is no longer operable and you're in San Diego. How are you going to get to work? All right. You're late three times because you're bumming rides from friends or you have to rely on public transportation. Next thing you know, that $200 auto repair has led to you being fired from your job. That one small thing in terms of mobility which is a specific dimension, can spiral you right down the drain. Exactly. My wife was on our last show, and we were talking about homelessness, and she was just talking about, we were actually talking about seniors. I'm sure you maybe see this too, are like the ones that are falling most in the homeless today because of you can't keep up. But she was just talking about the car issue where you, know, you, you move out of your house to a hotel, hotel to your car. Right. Then you get a ticket or whatever. You, you, know, you can't pay the <laughs> ticket or your car gets impounded. And then it costs like 200 bucks a day and right. you don't have the money, and then all of a sudden the two hundred becomes like two thousand, sure. <laughs> and you can't you can never dig out of this hole. Yeah. One one early intervention of maybe a small financial assistance may have kept you housed and safe, right? And and interrupted the cycle at that point. Yeah, I was at a meeting where I was hearing someone speak, and they were talking about the idea of identifying, like, for example, some of the folks that are homeless and their issues, just, you know, the rent's going up, whatever. And I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was like in the hundreds of dollars would help keep people housed versus they fall into homelessness and ended up costing us tens to twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to deal with situations on the street. So just having that kind of preemptive is this huge. Prevention or preempting entering the cycle is an important part also of what we do at Second Chance, as well as some of the focus of the health and human services and public safety groups here in San Diego County. An ounce of prevention right. is worth a pound of cure. One of the highlights for uh, at Second Chance is our youth garden program, which is uh, serves youth ages 14 to 21, is mostly youth from low or extremely low income status, what it does, in addition to teaching skills related to working in the garden and knowledge related to cooking and nutrition, also helps teach job skills and maybe most importantly, mental health strategies that enable the youth to thrive and give them a better chance to not enter the system in the first place. So tell us a little about Second Chance, the, the programs you're running. And, and you kind of even touched on that. I was kind of curious, uh, how much are you doing kind of upfront to try and help right. people before they fall down the, the, the trap and incarceration and all that versus, okay, I've come out and I want to you know, straighten out my life. Tell us about Second Chance. What's, sure. what's the story? What's the history? 
How did, how did we get here? <laughs> What's happening over there? Well, Second Chance was started here in San Diego by a gentleman named Scott Silverman in 1993. And so we just had our 30-year oh, anniversary. Wow. Okay, wow. Which is a blessing and a curse. It means that we've been needed for 30 years, right? And we still- uh, You haven't solved this problem yet, Bill. <laughs> haven't solved it yet. I was just looking at numbers. This year alone, uh, we had over 650 active participants in our program, new enrollments in 2023, uh, number about 350. And we mentioned the Youth Garden Program, which is really focused on education. A second Chance does three basic things. We provide housing, what we call transitional housing, because our goal is for people to transition to permanent stable housing. We provide re-entry services for people who have experienced incarceration and are ready to change the trajectory of their lives. And then we provide workforce education so that people can gain and retain employment to help them you know, thrive in our society and lessen the chances of, of them recidivating. Now, what the heck is that word? That's a fancy word. So recidivism is when someone has, has been convicted of a crime, had a period of incarceration, commits a new crime, and then has an additional or subsequent period of incarceration. And the state average, last time I looked at the measures, was 65%. Oh, worse than what I quoted. Right. <laughs> so, so darn near seven out of 10 people who experience incarceration are likely to commit a new crime and return. And the new crime is usually more serious than the previous it, crime. It may, I, or, I, may, I it, it may or may not be, yeah, okay. um, but you know, formerly incarcerated people are almost 10 times more likely to be homeless. And mm -hmm. so there's an intersection between incarceration and homelessness. In California, 70% of people who are experiencing homelessness have a history of incarceration. One, you've got a large percentage, somewhere between 25 and 33% of the adult population in the United States that has a history of incarceration. Here in San Diego, of course, we're all concerned with homelessness. There's an intersection between second chances and homelessness. And we, we hope to be part of the solution. The other fact is that it costs at least, if not more than $81,000 a year to incarcerate someone. What I usually like to tell people is, is that if close to seven out of 10 are recidivating and it costs $81,000 a year to incarcerate someone, well, that means that the standard way or the current way of our system is both expensive and it doesn't work. Right. Because it's keep repeating. <laughs> so that, that's a bad combination. Yeah, expensive right. and doesn't right. work is a very bad combination. And so, you know, we have a measured recidivism rate in one of our main reentry programs of 18%. And so the difference is, you know, if you're leaning towards more of a fiscal conservative viewpoint, our approach makes sense because you're changing the recidivism rate from 65% to 18% at a cost of $81,000 a year. That per would person. be huge. Think That's, about that, right? It's a big fiscal change. The other thing that we know is that when people successfully reenter society, they become taxpayers. There you go. <laughs> it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Now from the more socially liberal standpoint, of course, you have to question, and this is a hard question because most people aren't ready to face it, but the criminal justice in the United States, criminal justice system in the United States 
is largely based on a theory of change that has to do with deterrence, punishment and deterrence. In order to really change the criminal justice system, you have to change the theory of change to include rehabilitation, re-entry and reintegration into our society. And so our focus is on self-sufficiency, the way that we help people towards that really has to do with compassion. It has to do with the evidence-based programs, the trauma-informed programs that provide our participants with a relationship back with society. A lot of times through my staff, we had a a gentleman who stopped by our headquarters uh, on Imperial Avenue in Southeastern San Diego who had been through the program almost 20 years ago. And he was revisiting San Diego, visiting some family. And he felt as though he just had to stop by. And and the thing that struck me is what he said is I I had to come home. Mm. And we have some staff members, some long-term staff members that have been with us for, you know, over a decade. And the reconnection, just seeing the reconnection is moving. And what you realize is that in addition to the job skills, in addition to the, the reentry support, what we call supportive services, in addition to maybe providing someone with a place to live while they're transitioning from incarceration to reentry, what we provide is, is a relationship. It's an anchor. It's an anchor away from maybe the social networks that got you in trouble in the first place. And that's really the secret sauce. It's that connection. It's that individualized, compassionate care. In the United States, we tend to measure uh, criminal justice success. One of the measures is recidivism, as I mentioned. Uh, Other parts of the world are starting to focus more on a concept called desistance. And desistance is really based on three phases. The first phase is you you stop criminal behavior. You no longer commit crimes. The second phase, and this is interesting, is when you no longer consider yourself to be a criminal. You don't think of yourself as a criminal. And the third phase that's really related to breaking the cycle is that society and the community no longer views you as a criminal. I think we have some work to do in the United States uh, around that third phase because many of our practices – especially as it's related to common employment practices, every sentence is a life sentence. Anytime you have to check that box on a job application, have you ever been convicted of a felony? What you're saying is, is that felony conviction is a life sentence. You've never gotten rid of this. You've never gotten rid of it. uh, Yeah. It's your your mark for life, right? That's right. That's Uh, right. So we mentioned the youth garden program and I mentioned our transitional housing program. The other programs that we have, um, we've sort of braided together this set of programs. We have eight programs at Second Chance, and they're all in different ways contribute and help people towards self-sufficiency. Two of our programs are collaborative court programs. Those are programs for people whose criminal behavior is largely related to their substance abuse disorder, and it's a diversion from the $81,000 a year incarceration into a program that costs much less on a per year basis and includes uh, clinical counseling, 
for substance use disorder, as well as case management, employment support, pro-social activities. These programs are two plus years for, for the participants. At the end of it, what they're able to do is graduate to thriving in our society and being back on their feet. Uh, in addition to that, we have a future leaders program. Our future leaders program is funded by the Department of Labor through an affiliate of ours, a national organization called Strive in New York. And that's for transitional age young adults, 18 to 24, a life skills building program that seeks to connect these young adults to higher education. We have a partnership with the College of Continuing Education that's part of the San Diego Community College District. We're able to connect these young adults to higher education and what they call industry-recognized skills, which is, which is a great program. Anyone who has a 18 to 24-year-old knows that their science says neurobiologically they're not quite. Yeah, you're uh, still that, still growing. That cake isn't isn't baked yet. Yeah, right. it, may, and, it may look like it's done. <laughs> so, it's still soft inside. Yeah. So so having having specific programs that are designed for that age group is important. Mm. And what I like to think of as our finishing school is a program we may be most well known for is our job readiness training program. That program is not just resume writing. It's not just cover letters. It's not just job searching. What it is is social emotional learning. And we're teaching the soft skills that help people gain and retain employment. And so I always like to say that our graduates from job readiness training are highly engaged and highly retainable employees and frequently will advance within their careers. And that really gets to the role of employers here in southeastern San Diego, your audience is likely to have an affinity for conscious capitalism. Yes. And, um, you know, the, the connection to uh, reentry hiring or what the Society of Human Resource Management has taken to call second chance hiring. It's a net win for employers because you get employees that are highly engaged, highly retained, and are statistically shown in studies to have better chances of advancing within your organization than people who haven't had a history of justice involvement. I think it's almost like when uh, you look at colleges, you got all these kids, you know, the, the 18 to 20, well, next step is college, and they're there, just kind of holding down a place. And then you see the person that's 30. Mm. They show up entirely different, right? Right. <laughs> They've lived some life. Right. <laughs> they know some things. They have some desires to get somewhere. And I think that's probably true with your folks, right? It's like once I've made that decision and made that shift, I'm in now. Yeah. The, I, I, don't, I don't have uh, oats to sow anymore. I've done that. Been there, done that, right? For all the employers who are uh, lamenting the common characteristics of what everybody ascribes to millennials, being uh, self-interested and self-centered, the difference with the employees that may have some justice involvement is they're purpose-driven, they're focused. I believe it was class number two, 260. Yes, we're, we're graduating class number 270 on November 9th. At 10 classes ago, job readiness training classes ago, there was a young lady who was uh, giving her graduation speech and her children were in the audience. And what she said to her children was, 
mommy has a plan for a better life. And that, that's the power of what we do. But from an employer standpoint, wouldn't you want to hire someone whose who's, who's focus and, and motivation is a better life for her children? Uh, what kind of engagement are you going to get and what, what kind of advancement opportunities is that person going to pursue? Yeah. That's the quality of, of the folks that graduate from our job readiness training program. To that point, you and I were chit-chatting before we started the podcast, and you ran a panel at the recent cause conference, and you were talking about two of the people around the panel that aren't, aren't from San Diego, not in our particular area, but we're doing some interesting things in sure. regards to how businesses can show up to help support this problem that we've got. Maybe maybe share a little bit on that, Bill. Yeah, I'd love to. The, the cause conference was a, was a great event. I got the opportunity to uh, facilitate a panel discussion. One of the panel members was a gentleman named Joseph Kenner, and he runs an organization that's in New York, uh, where I'm from, in Westchester County. Uh, it's called Grayston Bakery, and they follow a practice they call open hiring. And open hiring is what it sounds like. You show up in the morning, you want a job, you go through a morning's worth of orientation, in the afternoon you're working. What they found, obviously, it lowers their costs of talent acquisition tremendously. And they've managed to get a workforce of highly motivated and highly retained individuals. And so no so, questions asked kind of thing. You want nope. to work here? Come on in. That's right. You want mm -hmm. a job? You got a job. And, you know, clearly every organization is different because they're a bakery, uh, essentially a manufacturing environment. They're able to follow that practice. There's a version of that that many companies can employ. There's great resources around from, a, from an employer standpoint. There's an organization called the Second Chance Business Coalition that has a tremendous amount of resources for people who would like to hire formerly justice-involved people. Uh, so that was one member of the, of the panel. The other uh, member of the panel was a gentleman named Safwan Shaw. He, he uh, runs a company, has founded a company called PayActive. And they provide a very interesting service called Earned Wages Access. And what that service does is it enables employers to give their employees access to their earned wages before payday. And here's the key, at no cost, no additional cost to the employer themselves. Basically, they sit in between uh, you and whoever's processing your payroll and through a debit card can give your employees access to their earned wages. That's the kind of capability that can interrupt one of those derailing Right, that's right. I need 200 bucks right now. Exactly. Otherwise, I can't get my car out of the shop, right? Right, yeah. right. And it gets to, it, it also alleviates something that's very true uh, here in the United States, which is it's very expensive to be poor. That sounds funny, doesn't it? Uh, how, what yeah, mean? That, that's all those little places on the corner where I can go <laughs> yeah. there and get my <laughs> right. Well, get the, that twenty-five percent yeah. loan <laughs> Pay, payday advance, right? Yep. Or the, yeah, yep. those 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 paycheck advance places. It, it's extremely high interest rate. Or your other choice is if you have access to a credit card, then you put the car repair on your credit card, and then you're paying interest and paying, right twenty percent again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it gets expensive to be poor. Whereas whereas if you have access to your earned wages. You have already earned the money. It's just that you're waiting for your company to process payroll. Helps with cash flow. Yeah. And a, as you can imagine, these two practices that we discussed at the, at the cause conference, you know, they can be transformative. 
they, they really can be transformational. So the idea of anyone having access to employment as well as access to their earned wages is extremely powerful for addressing the kinds of systemic things. It interrupts many of the hiccups or barriers that people can face that may stop them from being homeless. I want to give a shout out to uh, Michael Harth and Laz Parking. I know they have a program as well where they uh, hire the you know, incarcerated and yes. put, them, put them to work and have had a lot of success with that. Yeah, they're one of our employer partners. Ah, um, and, perfect. And uh, there's there's several in, in San Diego that uh, how we they, they come in and they do mock interviews uh, as we get to week three and four of our four-week job readiness training program. And many times those mock interviews turn into job offers. <laughs> yeah, right. do, do a good job in the practice. Who knows what might happen? Well, let's talk about Bill Payne, the guy, the man, the leader. <laughs> How the heck did you get here? And again, I mean, some interesting background. You and I were chit-chatting. You you worked for uh, Whole Foods back in the day, so conscious capitalism and Mackey. And, and you, you really have kind of a tech background, too, which is kind of interesting to find yourself in the position you are today. So what, what's, what's your backstory? Yeah, How so did this all come to be? I grew up in Westchester County in, in New York, just north of New York City. Following my career short enlistment in the Air Force, I— Started my work in the corporate technology field. I worked for a small data communications company um, using the skills that I had gained in the Air Force. I ended up working for Pepsi-Cola in the early 90s. I'm trying to remember when it was. Because <laughs> of the age, really. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it just feels like it was just yesterday. but <laughs> Yeah, so I was in the IT department at Pepsi-Cola headquarters well, in the 90s, that was some room full of big computers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was there was <laughs> a like couple I, of large computers. Yeah, it's not like and, IT is today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, I, I kind of got in on the ground floor there. Yeah. The opportunity arose for me to, I got recruited from Pepsi to Dell in Austin, Texas. And so I moved from upstate New York to Austin, Texas. I lived there for nine years. And I worked for Dell Computer. And that's where I also worked for Whole Foods Market. Subsequently, in the intervening years, had gotten married, and my wife had a job opportunity here in San Diego. I was the trailing spouse. It's a good thing about being a technologist. Yep. You can get a job, job anywhere. anywhere. Yep. And I ended up working for Amlin Pharmaceuticals uh, for a period of time before I returned back to Dell as a con on the consulting side. I subsequently had left Dell and hung out my own shingle as a consultant. And had been involved with Second Chance as a volunteer, a donor, and then got uh, brought on as a consultant. What, what drew you in? My wife and I were both looking for uh, something to get involved in, some way to give back. Some more purposeful, some meaning. Exactly. And one of her colleagues at Invitrogen, which was bought by Thermo Fisher, one of her colleagues had a husband who was on the board of Second Chance. And so we had gotten involved with, with Second Chance. And I, you know, the more I learned about the organization, you know, the more of an affinity I had for the mission. I had engaged with Second Chance as a consultant, helping with uh, some management training and ended up helping them select and configure the case management system that we use. Subsequently, the incumbent CEO decided to move on. Uh, there the, you were. <laughs> and there I was, having having just learned everything about all the programs. <laughs> it was obvious. <laughs> and so there you go. It's a little bit of a career shift for me, but uh, I'm convinced that 
more and more. I'm a little bit early, I think, on the age curve, but I do think that I'm I'm seeing more people with corporate backgrounds who are, you know, leaving the corporate world, but they're not done yet. And uh, whether you call it sunsetting or uh, instead of Gary Reese is refiring, refiring. Yeah. I was going to say instead of retiring, refiring. Yeah. Um, there there are a lot of rewards to uh, what I'll call a purpose driven um, career change. What I find very gratifying, you know, it's not easy, but what's gratifying is when you see the impact that you have on people's lives. Uh, I believe there was one of our participants, kids who was trick or treating in our offices today. And, um, you know, that kid's going to have a better life because of what my staff, all the hard work my staff does. You know, we frequently get to, we just had a um, graduation from our central drug court program and one of the participants proposed to his fiance at the graduation, which was very moving and, and, and very touching that he chose to do that in that setting. But those are the kind of things where you see. It's back uh, to the relationship piece. Yeah, it's back to the relationship piece and it's back to the connection to community and family. The joy that I get out of that and seeing that impact is, is worth the effort of, of leading the organization. Yeah. I'm just going to say it's, it's it's a little sad that we have to go make our nut before we can go and get the job that has the meaning. So, you know, how, how do we start to make, which is kind of the whole idea of uh, the purposeful leadership and companies and conscious capitalism. It's like, let's create those companies so you get to experience that throughout your career. Not just, uh, eh, okay, I'm still alive, still kicking. Now let me go do something meaningful <laughs> you know, right. versus, versus just, you know, making some money. It's fine. I'm making some money. It's what I got to do. I got to put kids with college and all this, but it just seems sad that it has to be in the reinvention period well, yeah, later I, in life. Versus, I think everybody gets there a different way or yeah. people who get there get there a different way. But the, the fascinating thing is that you can create something or lead something that is purpose-driven or conscious and make money. Yes. Or make an impact. I think that more and more organizations are aligning their values around not just returning monetary value to shareholders, but actually returning value to the community. I mean, that's a trend. That's where it's going. Right. It's, a, it's a kind of a slow moving model, but that's where we're going. And the younger generations are screaming for it. They say, Hey, I want, I don't want just a job. I want to look like my parents. Right. I want to do something that has some meaning and impact. Sure. Well, that's, that's the other benefit for uh, companies here in San Diego that want to hire uh, people who have a justice involvement background because you're not just doing something good for the community. You're also attracting that new generation of people who are demanding that their company deliver some social benefit. And so it's, a, it's, you know, we're stacking up the wins here. Right? Right. It's a win, win, win. <laughs> Bill um, is here. He's available. <laughs> Call him. You can, you can create some meaning and purpose in this company. Yours. Sure. So as a local business leader here in San Diego, and certainly kind of given where you sit in the, in the, in the space and what you're seeing, what are you, what are you optimistic about? Well, one thing I'll say is, is we all knew that the baby boomer generation was going to get older. That did happen. Yes, here I am. <laughs> and, and, and we all knew that as that happened, that there would be a labor shortage. And so it sounds odd to say that I'm optimistic about the fact that there's a labor shortage, but for what we do at Second Chance, there's been a sort of an alignment of forces where 
most employers are engaged in you know the quote unquote war for talent. I don't necessarily like that phrase, but there's a need to get more people into the labor force. Combine that with the unfortunate set of circumstances that has raised the awareness of social justice issues. And there's sort of a perfect storm happening where uh, many employers are actively trying to engage in opening up the opportunities for participants like ours uh, who have had justice involvement and and other targeted populations, neurodiversity, et cetera. You know, I have a lot of optimism because it's not just organizations like ours who are saying this is the right thing to do. The Society for Human Resource Management, or as the pros call it, SHRM, Mm -hmm. has an entire set of resources and a whole webpage dedicated to what they've taken to call second chance hiring. There's another organization that your audience will probably be very interested in. I think I mentioned it before called the Second Chance Business Coalition. Their website is secondchancebusinesscoalition.org. It's headed up by Jamie Dimon, chairman of of J.P. Morgan (laughs) Chase. And that website that I just mentioned has all the resources that are needed for talent acquisition professionals or corporate social responsibility professionals to enable their organizations to successfully engage in second chance hiring. And so you don't have to hire a consultant. You don't have to figure it out yourself. There's an on-ramp guide. There is an organizational change management set of resources. There are tips and tricks. And this is related to something that's very important here in California, which is California has something called the Fair Chance Hiring Act, which is a law that requires a certain set of practices around background checks and job offers that the California uh, Human Rights Division is planning on stepping up enforcement. And so if you need to learn, if you're an employer and you need to learn about the being legally compliant as well as being highly successful in your talent acquisition strategy, then these resources are extremely helpful because you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Wow. So many stars maybe are starting to align. This is a horrific right. problem. It's a big problem. It's not going to get solved anytime soon, but some things are moving in the right direction. And I'm going to say, we got a guy right here in town, Bill <laughs> Payne, second chance. <laughs> you don't have to go anywhere, go searching around, reach out to Bill and he'll help you move your program forward. Yeah, our, our website is secondchanceprogram.org. Reach out to us, uh, especially for employers who want to partner. There are other resources in town as well. Fortunately, the um, our local workforce development board is the San Diego Workforce Partnership. Yes. And they have a whole mission around helping companies find the labor that they need. So that's a great resource. There's so also- They're supportive of uh, my wife's uh, social program that she's doing with the, the folks she's hiring to do uh, the community cleanup crew. Uh, Absolutely. Yes. Parker's part of that program. Yeah, great, great resource for yeah. that. There's also a lot of effort going on at the county board of supervisors level. Last year, there was a entire uh, project the Board of Supervisors hired Sandag to do an alternatives to incarceration study. The second phase of that work has begun where um, the public safety group of the county has an entire work plan. And really what they're trying to do is provide exit ramps from the system 
for people that are ready to change and are, are motivated to kind of get out of that cycle and off that hamster wheel, they're providing off ramps to uh, successfully reintegrate into the community. And so the County of San Diego is uh, investing in this because it's a, it's a money saver and it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And uh, we're also seeing some interest in similar things from many of the cities in San Diego County, you know, city of San Diego itself. I've met the chief of police from Chula Vista. I've met the chief of police from the city of San Diego. I've, I've worked with uh, chief Varso in Escondido. Everyone is seeing the same thing right. that the, the current system doesn't work and it's expensive. So there's proven ways to break that cycle of incarceration and our organization and others like us are out there doing the work to do so. Well, I got to say, thank you very much. We appreciate that. I got to put a little bow on this. We're out of time, believe it or not. This has been really informative. Appreciate you and all the work you're doing, your staff is doing. Uh, it's a huge problem. And you know, like you say, when people find themselves uh, kind of on the wrong side of things, it becomes a life sentence. Right. And uh, that's just not right. And so the business community could play a big role in this. And you did a great job of teeing it up to say there's lots of wins by, you know, taking a look at this, these programs and embracing them in the work that they're doing. So, Bill, again, I want to thank you for coming in. It's been a pleasure. And uh, keep up the good work. We need you. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, just for your, for your audience to remember, the call to action is to visit secondchanceprogram.org. Get in touch with us. Become an employer partner. We'll get you connected to other resources no matter what part of the county you're in. If you'd like to make a huge difference and meet your talent acquisition goals, that's what we're here for. And we'll have that information in the show notes as well. So uh, they can uh, just hit it and find their way to you. Love it. Great. Well, that's our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe, comment, and most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. Again, special thanks to our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Be Local, and Cause San Diego. We're all using the influence of business to positively impact our very own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership saying, until next time, go do what you do. Go do what you do best, for we are all counting on you.